powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. Please sit. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, all, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. I am Derek. I want to thank everyone who has taken the time to tune in for another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we get started, not a whole lot of things going on in my world, except we are trying to survive this insane heat that is scorching the Midwest. I hope everyone listening who is being affected is staying hydrated and cool. And to those strange folks among us who are thriving in this oppressive heat, I say, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Anyway, welcome to episode 70. We have a real treat for you today, folks. We have on the show motivational speaker, author, and American Ninja Warrior contestant, Alex Weber. He is going to be discussing his earlier career in playing and coaching lacrosse, working with Daniel Tosh, competing in the Ninja Warrior event, and his new book, Fail Proof, Become the Unstoppable You. Let's not waste any time and get him out here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and welcome to the show direct from Chicago, Illinois, writer and speaker, Alex Weber. Alex, good evening. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How has the weather been in your area of the world today? <laughs> it is good. My area has been changing. So today's area was Des Moines, Iowa, and now it's Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's chilly, but I know what Chicago weather can get to, so I'm not complaining. Ah, uh, yes, Chicago. I remember going to boot camp just outside of Chicago, and I went during the winter thinking, oh, it can't be that bad. And it ended up being the coldest winter on record or something like that. So, Oof, I believe it. I believe it. It gets cold here. So I always like to start my interviews with the same question. That is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic? You don't want to do it again. Um, how has it been navigating it? I would say, you know, my gut reaction to that is that there's two sides of it, right? There's the professional career side, and then there's for me, the personal, mental, and emotional, social, you know, and I would say because mine are linked, I've elected to do something for my career and my life that is very linked to my purpose and what gives me fulfillment and, uh, and purpose. So, and so much of my purpose is people. So I would say it was rough. It was really rough. As COVID initially hit, obviously that affected in-person events. I, I'm a keynote speaker and that of course hit that. But it also impacted, this is 2020, uh, American Ninja Warrior, which is a NBC competition series that I'm now a competitor on. And uh, it got postponed. Um, I broke my hand and actually was going through uh, a really tough breakup at the time with someone that I thought I was going to get married with. You know, in, in full candor, there was about three months, spring 2020, where it was, it was a darker time. And I'm now, you know, back to speaking at events. I have the book that just published. 
Um, but I appreciate that question because I don't want to forget that Alex who experienced those moments. The name of who said it escapes me, but I am reminded of a quote that said, uh, emotional and physical scars exist to remind us that the past was indeed very real. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's a good one. I just can't remember who said it. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? What was it like to grow up there? Yeah, so I grew up in a small town, New York, kind of a woodsy area in Westchester, New York. You know, it was interesting. I, I joke that I'm an accident kid because I was. I'm younger than my siblings by a long shot. And when they went off to college, I basically was an only child. And those years, I remember very stark experiences. I remember we were in a small woodsy town. So, you know, it wasn't like you could pop over to your neighbors. So I remember being very alone for a lot of like middle school into high school and, and really not a strong sense of self. And then sports really came into my life. And, you know, I'm just the biggest advocate beyond sports. It was what sports did for me as a young adult and how much that gave me. And now, you know, if, if I'm fortunate to speak to schools or, or colleges and, and even to, to adults as well, you know, I just encourage finding an outlet. Uh, it doesn't have to be sports. Of course, it could be. It could be your family. It could be music. It could be taking up jujitsu. It doesn't matter what it is. But for me, that changed my entire life. And uh, lacrosse and hockey, I was intense with just about every sport, including chess and ping pong. But hockey and lacrosse took the cake. And, and you know, high school became a really wonderful place once those were in my life. So we're going to talk about lacrosse in a minute. But I have to ask you if there are any favorite memories from your time at the University of Pennsylvania? Mm, I do. You know what, what's popping in my head immediately, and, and uh, you know, I always think those are the best answers, are, are just the in-between moments. And I call those in-between moments ones that it wasn't a big event, it wasn't a big party, it wasn't a big game. It was just living with eight of my really good friends and just like the laughs that you have bumping into each other or a silly Tuesday night when you're watching a movie and, you know, maybe you're talking about something that one of you is going through. And so those in-between moments were definitely my favorite times. I actually remember one time there was some dance fad that was going on. I don't want to date myself, but it was Soldier Boy. <laughs> Great that soul. And uh, we like all packed into one of my buddy's rooms and all learned this YouTube dance together. And, you know, it's silly times. Uh, and I do stay in touch with them, you know, some more than others and some, you know, we could talk once a year and it would still be like great old friends and some, you know, more often than that than that. In your own humble opinion, how would you rate yourself as a lacrosse player? Ooh, well, all right, let's give the short and then the longer. The short is I'm not playing professionally. So <laughs> there's certainly quite a bit of people that are are better than me. I would say that if I'm really like, if I put on my coaching eyes and I was watching me play, I think that two things. I think in college, I never really reached my potential. I was a very gifted lacrosse player and gifted is the wrong word because I worked my booty off. Uh, I was obsessed with lacrosse. And so I really worked my ass off to become very good at it. But I never really in college really hit my stride. I would score four goals one game and score zero the next and get benched. So I was just very inconsistent and, you know, it took me to coaching lacrosse later and winning U.S. Lacrosse Coach of the Year to realize that it was 
It was my mindset and my emotional capabilities. It wasn't anything physical. You know, and I would say that's probably why playing in the world games meant so much to me. And I, I finished as the second goal, second top goal scorer in the world. And, and, and to me, I felt like I finally performed at what I hoped I would have done in college. Yeah, there's uh, the PLL, Premier Lacrosse League, is, is where the pros play. And uh, as the sport has been exploding the last five, ten years, there are some just absolutely beast players out there. I read an article while the team was prepping for this interview that said lacrosse and rugby are the two fastest growing sports in the United States. So. <laughs> yeah, rugby is an awesome sport. And yeah, lacrosse, is it is it really is growing fast. And I have such a dear love for it. I mean, it's first off, you know, it, it, it's a Native American sport and it just has so much tradition and, and love in it. You know, I joke with people, it's a beautiful sport of like artistry with brute strength like it's very physical you hit each other you have these steel poles you kick the crap out of each other but also if you look closely at someone's stick it's you put so much care into literally weaving weaving your stick and uh it's like almost like a ribbon dance when you see a lot of the players moving their stick around so it's uh yeah it's, it's really beautiful so what was your major at the university of pennsylvania it was political science and basically economics with it um, but I never really, and this is something that, you know, in the book, I call it the most important question we can ever ask, which is, what do you want for your moments on earth? And mm -hmm. that was a question I never asked until I was a senior at Penn. And I just majored what the older guys above me majored in, the cool, smart, successful seniors. I just did that. It always felt like a force. And it wasn't until I was a senior in that fall that I actually asked that question answered it with brave honesty, which is something I touch on in the book. That's when I quite literally changed my career and, and affect my life. How were you able to find success as the lacrosse coach at Harvard Westlake? Oh, I appreciate that. I, you know, I think really it was because twofold. One, I was thrown into it. I wasn't even supposed to be the head coach. I was supposed to be an interim head coach, which is a fancy way of saying you coach this season, then we're going to find something better. And uh, I was 25 years old. That's a very, you know, prestigious, intense private school in L.A. And I would say what I call, you know, I think the biggest reason I was successful, a couple, but one was what I call the human under the helmet, meaning I felt like when I played D1 college across, the coach at that time viewed me as number 20, the attackman whose job it was to score goals. Mm. He didn't see me as Alex, the guy who is hardworking, loves the cross, but also is dealing with nerves and anxiety and really wants to do well. And at times is doing well. There, he didn't really see that person. And so for me, I could see these young adults, the person I could see Ollie, I could see Noah, I could see Phil, I could see Roman and building that relationship with them. You know, as leaders, we often look at the job that someone might need to do for us. Okay, they're a salesperson, they need to hit a quota. They're human resources, they need to squash a problem. But if we actually look at the human who's doing that job, we find out a lot more of what actually connects with them, why they're doing this. And in that, we actually can lead effectively. Um, so I would say that was my greatest strength was actually connecting with the person. Now, I'm very interested in the answer for this next question. Tell us, what is it like to work with Daniel Tosh? <laughs> yeah, that was, and it kind of related. What was interesting is 
I had at that time was doing acting and uh, I was getting into stand up and then hosting, which was a big chapter of my life. But I was I was really doing acting right out of college and it never really felt like a fit. But I got some jobs here and there. And uh, what was interesting is I was an expert at lacrosse. So I was a coach. I was a gatekeeper to success. And then I would literally change clothes in my car and go to acting where I was a newbie beginner where other people were gatekeepers to me. And I got hired to do, uh, you know, like a one day funny sketch with Daniel Tosh and Carrot Top. And what was funny was they did their bit. We're like basically, you know, interacting together, but they did their bit. And then the camera flipped around and everybody, Daniel Tosh, Carrot Top, their entire crew, cast, all that, watched me and nobody else act out the scene. And they were like, yeah, why don't you just look at this uh, metal pole for your eyeline? So I'm new, I'm insecure already. And now I'm doing a scene with nobody with a metal pole while no one laughs because they're all being very professional at me trying to make jokes in the sketch. So it was a fun experience. It's one of those where it's immediately funnier once you're looking at it in the rear view, but something I'm thankful for. Where did the idea to audition for American Ninja Warrior come from? Ooh, you know, what my gut says is the universe and, and whoever, you know, however anyone wants to hear that God source universe oneness manifesting, however it clicks for you. But I, I would be immature to not say that there was something bigger at play there because, um, you know, and I'll, and I'll give a little also as, as kind of ethereal as that answer was, I'll give a more tact, uh, hands-on practical one. I thought I could be good at hosting. So I started going to this hosting and I remember that I went to this one casting director workshop. And at the end of it, she said, I think you'd be great. I want to introduce you to an agent. I'm over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get a hosting agent. This is great. I followed up. She didn't respond. Hmm. I followed up. She didn't respond. And then something went off in my head where I was just, I don't know, call it stubbornness. I just said, you know what? I'm going to follow up with her every single week. I got nothing to lose at this point. And I think part of it was maybe being a little like insecure or passive aggressive, but I kid you not, 52 weeks later, almost on the one year anniversary of her saying she would do it and then disappearing, she replied <laughs> and she introduced me to this hosting agent. I go into the hosting agent's office. I sit down with him over the moon and he literally says, poof, I don't know what to tell you. It's really tough out there. And I was like, uh, all right, are we about to work together? Because this isn't exactly a pep talk. He just kept going, it's really tough out there. But then, and this is, I think, a very practical thing. Something that I say a lot is people don't see it until they see it, meaning not everyone's going to see the raw talent in you, the potential in you, aspects of you, goals that might exist within you until they see it. So for me, it meant, you know what? I got to get a hosting reel. So I went into New York City and I just filmed fake shows as if I was hosting in my element. I just made up shows and just interviewed people and did fun things. I put together a video from that and he was like, oh, wow, this is great. And then one of the first things that he pitched me for was American Ninja Warrior. So I only say that because sometimes we do need to do a little elbow grease and take leaps of faith and put ourselves out there, even if no one sees it or they tell us we can't do it. And that's really you know, so much of what the book is about. So I went into that meeting for American Ninja Warrior and you know, it, it would definitely was my skill sets. They wanted someone who did comedy, was in sports, and could host. And that was my three biggest areas at that time. And uh, 
gosh, I, I can't thank NBC and American Ninja Warrior enough because it's been in my life now since 2016. And uh, it, it's, it's given me more challenges and gifts than anything else in my life. Do you ever go back and watch clips of your runs on American Ninja Warrior? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think what is really you know tough about uh, American Ninja Warrior, among many, many, many things, is that you get one go. You know, I came from lacrosse, I came from hockey, I came from tennis, I came from chess even, where you have a match, you have a game, you have quarters, periods, you have a season. American Ninja Warrior, you have one run. You know, my first year, what took me out was I was not a good enough Ninja Warrior. I didn't know. I could have maybe gotten through out of a little bit of luck, but I didn't really know how the obstacles work, so it was more of a physical. This last year, I did well. But I could have done better, and what took me out was a mental strategy mistake. And, and I can't say mistake because I intended to do what I did. It was just strategically incorrect. And, but what keeps you up at night is, gosh, one chance. Just let me go back right now. I'll do it again right now. I can do it. Of course, that's not the case. You know, that's, that's part of it. But I, I love the sport so much. You know, I'm mindful to not script anything. If I compete this year, fantastic. If I compete for 10 more years, amazing. If I don't compete again, then that's what, you know, life has got for me. So, um, but I do love it very much. So let's talk about your world record feat for the video chat. What inspired that? So funny. One of my best friends in this world, Rob Moore, we, uh, we have another buddy, Ilya Polyakov. And Ilya, we were all hanging out one day, and Ilya said that he FaceTimed his buddy in London every single day. And we're like, that's, that's a lot, man. Like, you know, not like once a week, you do every single day. And then we're, you know, just, we're just classically being best friends, and Rob's a comic as well. And we just started joking, you know, I wonder how long two people could actually video chat for. And that went to a series of classic you won't dares we ended up googling to see if there was a world record found out two australian teams had done it for 10 days and we're like oh we got to beat these aussie teams and we committed to do it for 14 days straight and live stream it to the world so what was the fallout from all of that did guinness world records come and reach out to you so what was funny was we reached out to guinness book of world records and guinness bless them but they are a brand. They don't yeah. own world records. They own Guinness Book of World Records, which is a brand. So we reached out to them because, of course, they're the marquee and we wanted it, it to be a Guinness Book of World Records. So they said, at this time, we have the closest thing we have is a phone call, the longest phone call. And we said, well, okay, well, this is different. There's a video chat. And they said, okay, so you're going to be creating a new category. To do that, you need to pay $10,000, apply, and in six months, we'll let you know the, the review. And we responded to that. We're like, if we had $10,000 and six months of patience, do you really think we'd be doing this video chat? Right. So we hung up and we're like, you know what? We got our nerve right now. We're set to do this. We're going to be recording everything. We had a video chat for crying out loud. And plus we hired videographers. We had GoPros. If anyone wants to audit this thing, bless your soul. You can watch 14 days, 24 hours a day of the footage. So yeah, we did it. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a brief break, but that'll give you a chance to refresh your drink and do some nice, big, deep stretches. Pay attention to promos for two friends of the show. We will be right back. 
It's the Dad in a Rock podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Join us every week as we give you the dad's point of view on pop culture. And stumbling our way through fatherhood. <laughs> dad jokes. Star Wars. Streaming. Tech news. Movie news. Listen to lifelong pals tell stories from past and present. Cruise with us into the cheesy every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms. And as always, find past episodes and links to our social media pages on dadnarock.com. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. In today's story, Elena tried taking a magic potion which she thought would help her. Well, she found out there aren't any magic potions. And you know what? There aren't any magic drugs either. Anytime you take one from anybody but your parents or your doctor, you're taking a very big chance. You're gambling with your health, maybe even your life. Drugs don't make your problems go away. They just create more. Hey everyone, I'm Michelle. And I'm Tom. And we are Apocalypse in Review. We're a comedic podcast that rates and reviews movies in the apocalypse genre. We run a synopsis, play some games, and also have commentary from us watching the movie. <gasps> dun dun dun! Ah, uh, he did. If you enjoy movies and lighthearted podcasts, come check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Sergio, arriving. Hello, everyone. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back into it with the conclusion of our interview with author and motivational speaker, Alex Weber. Now, you've become quite a popular motivational speaker. Where did the idea to do this come from? I appreciate that. And you know, honestly, it was one of these things I was joking. I was at an event today, and I was joking that I didn't know that this was a career path. I didn't know that this was even a career, you know? It was a pretty crazy combination of, you know, my three chapters leading up to this were TV host, stand-up comedian, championship coach. 
so it felt to me like, whereas in these other areas, you know, stand-up comedy, I love it so much. It's so fun, but it's, it's not really the setting to talk about inspirational, motivational, overcoming challenges, you know, here and there, but it's not really the setting. And TV hosting was amazing entertainment, but you can't really bring your creativity, your, what you think of the world in there. And again, coaching, I love so much. It was so motivational, but I kind of missed the comedy. And so this keynote speaking was this crazy combination of I could use comedy. I could talk about real things from coaching, challenges, overcoming them, believing in ourselves, getting past our limits. And then from TV hosting, I was very confident being on stages, speaking in front of audiences. Um, so yeah, it's something I... You know, I, I feel tremendously grateful and uh, excited to do. What does it feel like to be asked to give a TED Talk? Because I've been lucky to have had many guests who have had that honor and experience. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. You know what was especially cool about it was it, it was the first pat on the booty of validation, meaning I thought in me, and this is what's so important, you know, if anyone listening is, I just had that little like that little flicker in me of, I think I want to do this. I think I would like to do speaking. Now, at the time, I had this idea to call it motivational comedy. And that, you know, essentially is what I'm doing. But I was like, I could be a motivational comedian. And, and I still do like that title. But it wasn't in my world. I was doing TV hosting and I was doing stand-up comedy. That was my career, even though I really thought I could do this. And I just started to kind of put it out in the world that, that maybe I could do this. And someone said, hey, I actually know of a, of a TED Talk that is open for application. And I just threw my hat in the ring. I just threw my hat in the ring and I got accepted. And that was the first hat on, on the booty of validation to, to keep going. You know, I said earlier, people don't see it until they see it. And so to do that, to have the TEDx logo up there and, and be talking in front of an audience um, was a nice encouragement to keep going. So I watched a few of them online, and there was something you said that stuck in my brain. And if it's okay, I'd like to quote it. It was, how we internalize stimulants impacts our body's response and chemical reactions. I found that very interesting. So if you could, could you please elaborate more on that? Oh, that's interesting. And I'm going to have to... Now that you said that, I'm going to write that down and give it new life in a talk because it's, <laughs> uh, it's true. What it, what it clicked to me was that the stimulus is the stimulus, meaning someone cut us off, someone sent us that email, the text message came through that annoyed us. There's never been a noisier time to be a human being than right now. It just is. There's a million things vying for our attention. So the stimulus is what the stimulus is, but how it goes through our human machine that's up to us. So if we can kind of set our lens, our optics, so that we're viewing things with a little bit more grounded sense of, of maybe calm, maybe optimism, maybe security that whatever's thrown at us, we're going to handle If That's just our base. And obviously, we're not going to be perfect at that. But if that's our base, we're going to be in a much better place versus someone, and we all know someone like this, and we've probably fallen into the trap as well, where their default is just dramatic. It's anxious. It's, oh no, it's, this is the worst thing ever, complaining or, or pessimistic, or it's going to be terrible. And if that's our optic, 
Well, again, it doesn't matter what the stimulus is. We could be five minutes late to the meeting. The meeting's done. The deal's done. The job's done. That's what's going to happen versus if we have that lens of optimism, of confidence in ourselves, of, of we got this, then even if we are five minutes late to the meeting, we're going to handle it in a much better way that's going to provide for the meeting to go better and everything thereafter. So I would just encourage people to focus on what is in our control, which is really the lens of how we view the world. Another notable question I have from your TED Talk is, why is fear such a powerful thing? Oh, gosh, it's a great point. I would say twofold. I would say one, it existed in us, obviously, for a reason, right? You know, it served a very good survival uh, method, the purpose. Now, obviously, in 2021 life, we're not running from bears, we're not running for lions. You know, hopefully, people listening to this, you know, food isn't a, or shelter isn't a big concern for you. So that fear is still active, but where it comes up and I talk about this in the book, is our concerns are still valid. Meaning, if you pitch an idea at work, or maybe you ask a loved one to, to go to dinner, or you, you, know, you ask your romantic partner a fun date idea, and it gets shut down, that part of us that is fearful for our survival is going to voice up. And it's not incorrect, because we don't want to be excluded. We don't want to be denied. We don't want our safety to be threatened. But the degree that it flares up is often a bit extreme. And I joke, you know, one of my fears is karaoke. And I think it's because of judgment. I, you know, now I've done karaoke a couple more times in the last couple of years because I've wanted to face it. And I've realized that most people don't give a damn about what, how I'm thinking and how I'm doing. But there was very many years, and I think especially when it was with friends where I'd be so insecure that they were going to judge me and and not that I'm bad at singing, but that they would think I'm trying to be fantastic and I'm still bad and I'm just, I would create all these fantastical stories. So that's an okay concern. I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's scared of karaoke or maybe it's dancing at a wedding or, or what it is for you. But the level of, I would black out from nerves and start to shake before doing karaoke. And that's a bit extreme for singing Garth Brooks at a bar. Mm. I don't think we need to be freaking out like I'm running from a jungle cat or I just got canned, you know, for my dream job. So I would just say, and the best way for me to do that is to literally talk to myself. And I encourage people to do that. You know, Brene Brown has a great line of talk to yourself like, like a friend. And Jordan Peterson says, you know, talk to someone like you're, you're responsible for them. And, and for me, just coming from sports and coaching, I, I would just say, give yourself a little pep talk, coach yourself. And, and why I like that is there is some duty in it. And, and what's really helped me is I give myself a nickname. So I call myself Webs. What is fun about that is simply by doing it, it takes us out of the intensity of the moment. Because to talk to ourselves, we can't just be in it. We have to hover out of the moment, hover out of that meeting before we go in or hover out of the nervous anxiety, uh, judgment, pressure, and just talk to ourselves. One other little little tactical note I'll give on that is you can also give the fearful mind a nickname too. And uh, I, I just was speaking at an event and someone came up to me after and I loved this. I hadn't heard it. They said, I've been giving, since hearing this, I've been giving my fearful name a nickname and also an accent. They gave it an over the top from the 80s Russian accent. <laughs> and uh, I really love that because it just makes 
is very clear to us that that fear voice is not you. It's in you, but it's not you. <laughs> I have this sudden urge to watch The Hunt for Red October or Rocky Four. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. Okay, let's discuss your first book, Fail Proof, Become the Unstoppable You. Where did the idea come from to put pen to paper? You know, it'd been something that I'd been working on. It first started back when I was coaching high school lacrosse. A lot of those parents were very successful in LA and some in the literary world. And I used to send out these emails after every game and they weren't really about the score. They were about life and, and these young adults. And so that was the first encouragement as people said that, you know, I should write a book. And what I did is I just started keeping an anthology of stories of lessons of anecdotes and I would just hang on to them. And I was like, you know, when the time is right. And then I got into TV hosting and American Ninja War and I'm like, Oh gosh, well, this would be cool to write about. And then the world record and then uh, world cup of lacrosse. And there was all these chapters that I, I kind of was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to write the book yet. I'd like to include all this. And then after competing on American Ninja warrior, I, I met Dr. Henry cloud and he is a multi-time New York time bestselling author, a absolutely phenomenal human being. We started having just, we had a breakfast meeting. It quickly went. He invited me back to his office. We hung out for about four hours. Since then, he invited me to meet his wife, Tori, his family. I've had Thanksgiving with them. He's just been an incredible person to me uh, on a human level. Forget business and career, just a person level. And, and he gave me, a, you know, I, I joke with this expression, pat on the booty, but it, not a literal one. I don't want to hear from <laughs> Dr. Cloud. I didn't say not a literal one, but it, the encouragement to write it. And that's really what did it. And I'm so grateful he wrote the forward to the book. You know, I spent really spring 2021 writing this book officially, and what was beautiful about it is it was also the time that I was training for American Ninja Warrior 2021, so it put my money where my mouth was because I would write all day about facing fears, stepping up, challenging limiting beliefs and failures, and then I would get in my car, drive an hour, train till midnight, swinging off obstacles, ripping up my hands, and having to do exactly what I was writing about. And then I would drive back and I would rewrite the things that I wrote to make it more real because that is the best feedback that I've ever gotten from people is that, um, it's, that it's real, it's true, it's authentic, it's relatable because I think in this world of quote-unquote self-development, growth, motivation, you know, there's a trap of being eye-rolly, corny, insincere, overly aspirational, and, and that's not what I want to do at all. And so I'm thankful to, to have written it with American Ninja Warrior because it, it kept me honest. So what does the future hold for Alex Weber? Oh, wow. What a question. I love it. Let's see. What I would hope it holds for me is I really hope that the book can be something meaningful in the world that, you know, I've, I've started to get messages from people and I save every single one. And the what's really been special is people have said, I needed to hear this right now in my life. And that is, that's, I mean, come on, that's, that's one of the greatest things I could ever hear. And so Absolutely. I hope that the book continues to be meaningful in people's lives. And I would love to keep doing what I'm doing and, 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 in just a, a big, bold way. You know, I, I feel grateful to be a speaker, to be an author, to be an athlete still. If I can continue to just do that uh, and grow it, no one's happier than me. As we begin to wind things up, what is the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? I appreciate that. And, you know, depending on what is easier for you, I would say 
you know, you can sign up for my newsletter. Just head to I'mAlexWeber.com and you can sign up there or social media. I'm Alex Weber, one B and Weber on on all platforms. And gosh, it would just mean so much if if, if you do buy the book and and write a review and let me know because I, I I have these communities to support people with the book. So I, I would love to further support your audience. I like to end my show with my favorite question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of earth? Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to honor, I'm going to honor what just came to me, which was do what is in your heart while you're here. Meaning while you're here, earth life while you got this life and whatever's in your heart it's not in someone else's heart it's in your heart for a reason whatever that clicks to you it's in your soul it's in your gut it's in you and then do it do it imperfectly start do what is in your heart while you're here the book is fail proof become the unstoppable you it's now available on amazon barnes and noble or wherever books are sold alex thanks ever so much for coming on the show this has been really great uh, Derek, I appreciate it, man. This is uh, a true honor. You're a phenomenal interviewer, and, and I thank you for having me. Best of luck to you, mate. Thank you so much, Derek. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 70. I want to thank the amazing Alex Weber for taking the time to come on the show and speak with us. What an extraordinary human being he is. We still have so much more left to get released, and we are talking some absolutely incredible guests I cannot wait for you to hear them. Have you had a chance to check out our store on TeePublic? That's right, folks. We have partnered with TeePublic to bring you custom Derek Duvall Show-themed merchandise, such as stickers, magnets, and mugs. Plus, Mrs. Duvall and I have carefully curated a collection of t-shirts that we found amazing. So be sure to go to DerekDuvallShow.com, look for the banner on the left that says Merch, click that, and you'll be taken to our TeePublic store. And we want to thank TeePublic again for being such amazing partners. On behalf of the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, I know life keeps kicking us when we're down lately, but I believe we can get out of this mess if we just use some common sense. Hulfau, God bless, and see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com to explore past episodes and find links to purchase merchandise. Please subscribe to our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Derek Duval Show.